Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, and Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. On the interwebs, he has an official home. It's called the Blade of Perseus, and its web address is victorhanson.com. You should go visit that, and I'll tell you why in a, more in a a little bit and the also the happy home of this podcast on the internet is john solomon's just the news.com you should check that out this is a victor's on vacation episode that we pre-recorded victor's going away uh, for a week but we don't want to leave our listeners uh sans victor so uh we're we're going to do a little bit of a shorter uh episode three topics and the first topic given some of the recent Affirmative action rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court will be historically black colleges. And we'll get Victor's thoughts on that, on a plethora of trans insanity. And if we have time, the new movie that's out, uh, The Sound of Freedom, with Jim Caviezel being attacked by the left. We'll do that right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. You know, Victor, I'm going to ramble. I know this will drive our listeners mad. I don't have a clear thought on this or on anything, but you might. But in the, you know, we have been, our nation has been struggling with affirmative action um, as a policy, particularly as it applies to, to higher ed. Of course, it applies in other, many other ways in our in American society. But um, the Supreme Court, uh, um, you know, gave a blow to affirmative action in its re- in recent um, uh, ruling against Harvard and University of North Carolina. You know, Victor, uh, and some of the reaction to that has been, oh, this is going to be drastic, the terrible, awful for um, uh, students of color, black um, American, uh, where are they, you know, how are they going to get, et cetera, et cetera. And it all, it's been dawned, dawned on me, you know, there is this really significant network of black colleges, historical black colleges in America. There's about 120 of them. And um, I don't know, Victor, I just, I don't know if you have any general thoughts about them, but, you know, here we have, here we have race-based colleges, which I don't know in, in, as in conservative principle, you know, should we have them? The fact is they're here and they've been, many of them have been here for quite a while and they are institutions dedicated to help uh, black uh, college students to get degrees and advanced degrees. I have a feeling they're kind of uh, treated shabbily and uh, you know, the great money bags that want to dump, additional dough on Harvard and Yale to, to make their already ghastly <laughs> endowments even bigger, uh, have an option, maybe make these um, uh, historical black colleges better institutions. I think th- Donald Trump actually uh, allocated some significant money to them through the federal budget. But Victor, they're there. Um, I think in some way they expose the left. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you have any thoughts about this? Well, the way that they navigate in this environment that is very different than their birth. And remember, they emerge because black young people were not given a fair shake to get into superior white schools that had more resources. So they kind of was a self-help idea. And anybody reads, you know, Booker T. Washington up from slavery, it's it's brilliant. Right. And so everybody supported them. And then as blacks began in the civil rights movement to get parity and to be admitted to whites, then there was uh, they had a falling off of some enrollment, obviously, because they were no longer the only game in town. And now people have questioned the need for them because not only were blacks given equal opportunity, but since 1964 or five, they were given preference into state schools. So how did they function? And they function in a very simple reductionist way. They never said that you had to be black to go to the school, even though most of them had anywhere from 95 to 100 percent blacks. By that, I mean they were not racially exclusive. So to this day, you can say historically black colleges. But if you're white and you want to go to Tuskegee, you can. And so in their way of thinking, they violate no civil rights statutes. Right. But I think your concern is more with the emphasis on name. I mean, we don't have something called Asian colleges, Latino colleges, white colleges. 
And that's because I'm, now I'm voicing what the left says. The left says that's because of the unique circumstances of slavery and Jim Crow was not like the experience of other non-white peoples. But I think those arguments become more and more uh, tenuous. So I think what would be good is if you have a Morgantown or whatever, Morgan or, you know, Tuskegee or Howard University. Right. Then they just Just sort of transmogrify into Howard University. And they may have a predominantly black uh, majority, but they're not necessarily identified just with black people. Right. So I think that's their hope for survival, that they can become... uh, not associated with race is what I'm trying to say. They have historical roots, but they don't have to be associated with race. And if somebody said, well, that's our character. Well, you could say that was a character. Religion was the character of Harvard. It was a reason to be of Princeton and Yale. And believe me, they, for better or worse, they transcended religion because they're not there to train uh, American youth in Christianity anymore as, as they were originally intended. So all yeah. colleges evolved beyond their foundational foundational mission. But I think that's my attitude is live and let be. If as long as they let people in that are not black, if they want to, even though uh, they kind of violate this principle of uh, you know proportional representation. And when you don't have proportional representation, we're told that it's because of disparate impact. That right. whether you intended that or not is irrelevant. If you don't reflect the demographics of the United States, then you are subject to court intervention. So I suppose, you know, that somebody could say, well, look at the NBA is 68% black or the NFL is 74% black or, um, you know, Howard University is 85% black or something like that. And that's not fair, but it's, I don't think that's going to be a serious thing. The whole the whole proportional representation, you know, I was just reading something about Major League Baseball is down to, I think it's 8% blacks. And there's this big idea, is it racist? But when you look at, there's not, there's only about, I think, 53% white. And out of a demographic that's, depending on how you define it, 67 to 70%. Nobody's saying whites are underrepresented and right. historically a white sport. And yes, we're beyond the, we don't have a Willie Mays and a Hank Aaron and Juan Merritt, the great stars of the major league, Roberto Clement. Most of the best players in the 70s and 80s, many of them were black, Bob right. Gibson, et cetera. Yeah. But it's because we have, we have a, a nation of about 11 to 12% Latino, but they're what? They're about 45% of the major leagues. And they're mostly foreign nationals in many cases. So think of the absurdities we're saying, well, blacks are overrepresented in the NFL and the NBA, and that's fine at sometimes five and six times their numbers in the demographic. But if there are only half their numbers in the demographic, then there must be something wrong with Major League Baseball. So we have to adjust by recruiting black people. But whites, who were the obvious target of any affirmative action type of protocol, are also underrepresented. So then Latinos in baseball play the same role as what Asians do in college admissions. So you end up going out right. after another quote-unquote marginalized people. And why do you do it? Because they're too successful. Because 
baseball has become the national pastime of Central and South America and the Caribbean, and they excel at it culturally. They put a lot of emphasis on it. They're very good players, and they would be, what, punished for their success? And same thing with blacks in baseball, uh, basketball. I don't think that we should have an affirmative action program in basketball or football. It's it's, it's a pure meritocracy. Right. And I don't really care what the pe- the teams look like. And I don't really care if there's, you know, 15% white people. And most of them are Europeans, it seems like, in the NBA. That's their problem. If they want more white people in the NBA, then let them start teaching basketball in first grade and, and emphasize it. But it's not my yeah. job. I don't think it's the listener's job to worry about the color of a particular team or whether one particular group is over or underrepresented. And so I don't know. I, I just think that we're going to eventually either survive as a multiracial society with one culture or we're going to implode as a multicultural Bellum omnium contra omnis, a war, a Hobbesian war of everybody against everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like any identification. I understand there's an exception with blacks because black colleges, but I would hope at some point Howard would assume the role of Williams or Kenyon or Oberlin. Right. Be incidental. They wouldn't say the historical black. It'd just be Howard. And if it had more black students than most schools, who cares? That's... So that's what we yeah. all wish, I think. Yeah. The left well, wouldn't because the left has no appeal. Their agenda doesn't appeal to anybody other than by crises. And the crisis that they fixate on the most are racial crises that they gen up. Well, the racial, you know, the the, the left money that is that that hasn't gone to help blacks would be. Of course, I don't I don't want to advocate. I think we already have an too much philanthropic money being thrown at higher education when it's a little late for a lot of people and when they need the help in the third grade and the second grade and nobody's That's no billionaire is going to get his jollies by having some PS school named after him as opposed <laughs> to some big honking dorm at, at you mean you know, the Warren and Lois Smith school of <laughs> yeah but, uh, but, you know, there was an opportunity with, with uh, in 2020 and if, if, instead of all this money going to BLM and other, you know, bogus causes. What about what about historical black colleges? Were, that, were they not something that that uh, deserved attention? And they never seem to have gotten the well, attention. The tria, of, uh, the, tria the, who, the three women who founded BLM took the money. Most of them. Most of yeah. it. And they don't want to talk about it because that's racist to suggest that it was a fraud. But if you do believe, if you disagree with me, just ask how many corporations are giving right now at the level they said was essential in 2021 or 2000. Yeah. I just 2020. I don't think any of them are because yeah. they have made a cost of benefit analysis that BLM was a shakedown operation and they're not going to be shaken down anymore. Yeah. Well, well, Victor, we're going to move on to, uh, gosh, a, uh, a stew of just weird sex, gender, transsexual madness. And we'll get to that <laughs> right after this important message. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your 
risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. You know, Victor, um, I'm going to... I'm going to read out here. There's five headlines or, or stories. We could we could spend hours on this topic. The first one um, from the Daily Mail headline: CDC Centers for Disease Control advice says trans women can safely breastfeed babies and doesn't mention health risks. So this is a story about guys who put pump themselves with chemicals to try wait, and get trans some... women. Wait, 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 wait. I got to get this down because I'm confused. Yeah. So are you talking about women that were born with breast no. and sophisticated milk ducts that then transitioned to males and got pregnant no. because they didn't have a sex change by somebody with the phallus? Or are you yeah, talking about men with no breast? And male genitalia that transitioned to women got implants, and then they're going to breastfeed with yeah. through implants or through, through hormonal implants, changes and through hormonal changes. And and possible and, that they can develop a, a comparable milk duct system. I didn't know that. Well, that's what that's what they're trying. Or they just to, that's, that's just that's just one headline, Victor, of of the absurdity. Okay, that's I interrupt you. Give me more. No. Okay, the second. Well, this we heard this new transsexual guy with a with the Johnson has been is now Miss Netherlands, and he's going to go to the Miss Universe contest representing the Netherlands, which is funny for the, the Nether regions land. Um, then there's a headline from again from the Daily Mail. Uh, this has to do with verbiage in our society. Wait a society. minute, I think you, I, I have to interrupt you. I go think ahead. You it's your show. Politically incorrect. <laughs> As I yes, understood it, yeah. the word is not breastfeed. It's chest feed. Chest feed. Chest don't, feed. Don't privilege breast sorry. feed chest. Continue. I'm sorry about that. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. So the Daily Mail has a headline. Now health professionals are urged to call, I'm sorry to say this, vaginas. I mean, it's a technical term. Urged to call them, quote, bonus holes, end quote, to avoid offending patients. I I. I 
I I don't know what the hell to say anymore. Uh, now is another headline from the Daily Mail. Tampon company boss criticized for labeling women menstru- menstruators. And then the last thing is this is from a, a Microsoft headline. Transgender wom- woman with beard is now a lesbian. Is it transphobic if lesbians refuse to date a trans woman? So if you're a real bona fide lesbian, you know, born that way. Well, if they're going to make these specifications, then and they're the ones that are categorizing everybody by their genitalia, then they better tell us. You should yeah. you should create new terms. They should call it trans A or trans B. Trans A means that you still retain your biological genitalia and you adopt the clothing or the dress or maybe the hormones of a different sex, but your genitalia remain the same. You didn't choose to be castrated, for example. And then transgender B would be fully transsexual. And that makes a big difference, it seems to me. But where we're going with all this is we're really, when you think about it, and I think the only person, is it J.K. Rowling, the, Roland, uh, Roland, the Harry Potter author, and she's right. been, and Bernadette Dorn, or is that who, who, who's the, the, there's a lot of feminists in the UK are making the argument that this is very anti-feminist. It seems to me that it is. Why would any woman want to refer to her private parts as a whole of any sort? It's an obscene term, asshole. It's just a a horrible term to use when there's a whole variety of clerical and even slang terms that were preferable to that. And then this idea that, that all these companies are going to to cater to the feminine products that they're going to to market uh, for men or when we saw the target genitalia cod pieces. What, I, what, and what I, I don't understand, if the transgender movement wants to say that we are unique individuals that suffer from gender dysphoria and we had to correct in our teens or in later life, well, then why not have a separate transgendered Olympics, three sexes. I have no problem with that. But to expropriate from women, whether it's taking their sports or labeling, getting into the territory that is the domain of women and saying, "From we, the transgendered community, insist that you now call a vagina a particular type of hole. That's not their prerogative to do that because they're, they, they themselves admit that they're biologically changed. They change their biology. And they can call it a construct all they want, but it requires some intervention with hormones and surgery that most people don't undergo because they're, they're naturally born into the sex at which psychologically or their brain chemistry is wired to. But my point is it always seems to be uh, addressed at women. And I don't quite understand that, that it's kind of a misogynist thing. And right is is... The Netherlands so short of womanhood. I mean, I've been to the Netherlands six or seven times. The one thing that's striking, the women are beautiful. You should have seen the runner up who was a real woman. And, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sorry if I may express a view. I, you, Caliente. You, and yeah, the dude you, who won was just like, what the? That's a dude. Every time I go to some of the best looking people in the world and, and they're beautiful. Why would you not just have a transgendered beauty contest? Right. And, that would what we would do. And it's not prejudicial. You can just say we're going to have a special category like the Special Olympics. 
I'm not suggesting that it's a handicap or anything. It's just different. And why would you try to infringe, impinge on biological women's domain and get very, it seems to be directed at women is what I'm trying to say more so than you don't have a lot of women who transition into men that are winning sports contests, right? To the, even to the degree they compete. Or, or Victor, women, you know, who are going into men's locker rooms and trying to embarrass them, which is 100% on the other side. Doesn't that tell you something that tells you that it's not complete transition, that there's some innate biological difference between a woman that transitions to a man than a man that transitions to a woman, whether they can talk about constructing muscularity all they want, but a woman who says that even if she's had uh, implantation of genitals and a phallus or penis, and even if she's had her breast removed, she's not going to be on average competitive with a male-born biological male. It's just not going to happen in a way that's just the opposite when a man transitions to a woman. And so why not just, it seems to be impinging on women more is what I'm trying to say. And you don't see weightlifters that are you don't see any women that transition to our bodybuilding contest maybe it's a few but it's very rare to see uh women go into whether it's beauty or sports or any of these typically male domains at least to the degree that men who transition try to go in and dominate women's sports or beauty contests you just don't see i just don't see it as much and that tells yeah. me there's there's vestigial biological determinants that we don't want to talk about. And this transgender thing is like every movement in America. It always go, the natural trajectory is excess. And, you know, it was the left that told us. Remember, Hillary Clinton couldn't open her mouth without talking about the children, the children, the children. The right. Children. And now the children are being exposed to simulated sex acts in some drag shows, and we're not caring. And we're even talking about different words for pedestry or pedophilia. We feel that those are hurtful. So it's yeah. I think in, in this these flags they have now with the, the ugliest flags in America, but one of these stripes in it represents what used to be Nambla. You know, no. man boy, not Nambla. It wasn't the yeah, yeah. Man Boy Lover no, Association. North American Man Boy Love Association. Yeah. Yeah. And it was basically a, a an is institutionalized it, pedophilia. Yeah. Pedophilia. Is this part pedophilia. of the they great They call it uh, pedestry, but it was pedophilia. Yeah. There is a difference. Pedestry is supposedly the male attraction to boys that have reached puberty rather than pre puberty, but it's still against the law. It should be. Yeah, and they 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 resent that deeply. A lot of people in that movement, but the transgender movement, uh, it seems to me that it's anti-homosexual in many ways, but I it's clearly anti-feminist in women. Women. And, yeah, my, you know, my former colleague at National Review, Madeline Kearns, has written a lot about this. But some of these, uh, you would think crudely, okay, well, their allies are, you know, the gay movement will be an ally. Uh, but it's not because like this uh, headline I read, okay, you're, you're, I'm a lesbian, right? And you want me, you're a dude, but you're saying you're, 
you're saying you're a lesbian and I'm supposed to love you. Uh, and if I don't, I'm I'm a homophobe or racist or whatever. What the, this is also defining when you have these people that go into beauty shows or the character who pulled up his shirt at the White House and exposed his artificially implanted breast, right, whether hormonally yeah. or through surgery. Yeah, they're trying to redefine the feminine mystique. The feminine mystique, what made women beautiful, were usually a woman's shoulders did not have the breadth of her rear end. And usually it was a wasp. That was the ideal in beauty. And, you know, you can talk about aesthetics that are printed into our brain. The Greeks talked about it. Why particular shapes were considered more feminine than other particular shapes. But in classical, I mean, there's variations. And I understand that during the Renaissance or the period, people were Rubenesque. And during the Victorian, it was wasp-like. And there was all these fads about. And during the Twiggy, it was sort of man-like. I get that. But ultimately, the transgender movement is saying that we're going to redefine what feminine beauty is because a man, a biologically born man is going to have shoulders that are bigger in most cases than his hips. And they're going to have other physical jaw and everything that are not feminine unless they're just radical, radical surgeries. So my point is that you're going to judge every woman and I, and I don't, I'm not saying this is a male imposed. When you have a bikini contest, women accentuate certain things that they feel makes them more sexy or, excuse me, sexier. And it's not just the male expectation. Women understand that. And so all of a sudden you're going to give a prize to a person that can't compete with an innately woman's physique, right? No matter yeah. how much hormones or surgery, you're stuck with a muscular skeletal system that you're born with. And then you're supposed to what? Then give that person the first prize on terms of beauty. Well, beauty, according to what I understand about these pageantry, it doesn't stop at the neck because these institutions have swim scoot contests and dress contests. And they try to expose the feminine, female physique. And I'm telling you, a man just doesn't have it. If he's born, maybe he can doctor and surgery and all that, but it's not going to be the same, especially when you get to that level of competition where some of the women that are almost all of the finalists in these major beauty are absolutely stunning. They're perfect specimens of femininity. They're sort of like the classical ideal and they come right out of Renaissance, uh, right out of paintings or classical Greek statues and the idea that that's going to be the pinnacle of femininity, at least sexuality or something. I'm not talking about all the other aspects of education and learning that supposedly are computed into the, the, the pageant. I'm just talking about the swimsuit area and the dress area. Right. And you're going to artificially say that a male is just as beautiful, a biological male, even though they're never going to be able to approximate that. Just It's bizarre. And I think it ultimately... When you think through it, it's kind of demeaning to women. Yeah. Most of it is. And uh, we don't have to expound on this anymore. But like Dylan Mulvey, like this is a, a camera woman, he says. And then why why are there caricatures of women that come out of that? Why this play acting as opposed to just saying, you know what? I'm a woman and I'm just going to be what I if am. He, if he was gay 
And he did that in person, that Paul Lind impersonation kind of thing, that voice. Remember Paul? Yeah. Lind? Oh, God. So, yeah. yeah. When you did that overtly gay, we didn't really know what it was in those days because we just thought it was weird, likable. But gays resented that because they thought that that was a caricature of, you know, the droopy hand and all that stuff. Yeah. Sissy boy. Sissy, yeah. yeah. So yeah. why would you why would you emulate that phoniness? to caricature women, I guess. Women don't talk like Mulvaney. They don't. I know a lot of women. I've got daughters. I'm married. I right. mother. I mean, <laughs> they don't so. talk like like right. he does. No. They don't. And yet Gosh. he thinks that well, I, I hate to say I'm glad they're pushing it too far because I'm not. I wish they weren't pushing it at all. But the excesses here, I think, are, are just going to have uh, great re repercussions for. I think it's already happened. I think women are finally waking up and they're saying, you know, this is impinging on all of our hard won, hard won efforts of equality in sports and sports and everything. And we have nothing against transgenderism, but if it is different than male and female, it's not a complete transition because of biology and nature and DNA. And therefore, maybe we could have a, an equal third sex of competition. And that would be, I think, they get just as much attention. But they, nobody That's wants to do that. They want to get right into the face of people and say, accept 100% of my agenda. And if you're only going to accept 99, then you're a homophobe. Right. right. And people in America don't like that. Yeah. Genuflect. You you must uh, silence is uh, well, silence is violence. You have to you have to uh, accept, not tolerate. You have to accept. Well, Victor, uh, we're going to talk about one more um, topic today. You'll get your views on one more topic, and that's uh, the, this new movie, Sound of Freedom, that stars Jim Caviezel, and it's um, uh, about based on a true story about some guy who's fighting sex trafficking, which is a very real thing. But because this seems to appeal to um, religious people, Kvizel is a conservative actor. This this is now something being vilified uh, on, the, on the left. And we're going to talk about that right after this final important message. <laughs> What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Back 
back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, I forget, you know, I'm getting old here. I, th- I don't know that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about your website, but I don't think I, I'll have to make a quick pitch. Hey, folks, uh, go to victorhanson.com, the Blade of Perseus, sign up. You can, by the way, you can sign up just to get a newsletter there, but you want to subscribe too. It's five bucks to get in the door, $50 for a year. Why would you pay that? Because Victor writes a tremendous amount of original content that's exclusive to that website. Yeah, you can read his syndicated columns there. You can read his American Greatness pieces. You can uh, uh, find links to his various appearances, but you won't be able to read um, the uh, uh, ultra articles. So I I calculate two or so books a year's worth of of, uh, content come, come at you that way. And if you're a fan of Victor's writing, and you've got to be, then you should be subscribing. So please do that. Uh, Blade of Perseus, VictorHanson.com is the web address. For me, very quickly, I write a free weekly email newsletter. It comes out every Friday. It's called Civil Thoughts. I write it for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we are determined to strengthen civil society. I give... Um, I give 14. I should stop saying 12, 13, 14. It's always 14. I give 14 excerpts of articles I've come across in the previous week. Here's a link. Here's the excerpt. I think you'll like it. Check it out. It's non-transactional. There's no cost, no risk. We're not selling your name. Lots of people have been signing up for it. They like it. So you go to civilthoughts.com and sign up. And you, I have uh, some wild, angry readers, um, Posted and I got one coming up that's kind of crazy, but those are always. Oh, fine. I, I gave it your website. Yeah, yeah. on the website I gave a ten. You know, he he hit every single angry reader. Button. <laughs> he used the he used the capital letters. Yeah, he had the misspelled words. He had the scatology. He had the ad hominem. He had the f word, the s h i t word. He had every the exclamation points. You know, the made yeah. words. Everything. So I said, you know, this is a work of art. You need a 10 on this. You've had, I know there's been less of these done in the, in more recent times. And that's because you've been a madman writing books. And I know you've just, you finished writing what will your next, your next book, which may be your last book, but you may have more time to do that. But uh, you've accumulated a lot of angry uh, reader uh, uh, letters over the years and you're your dissection of them is always terrific. So that's, but that's one of the fun, that's one of the features at victorhanson.com folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 and I don't post the ones that come personally to me when people get my email, those are every once in a while, it's, it gets beyond funny because it's, you know, if I ever see you that kind of stuff, but I don't like to mention that because a lot of, as you know, pundits will say, Oh, I'm always under attack. People are threatening me. I'm so brave. I don't mean that at all. I just, there's a lot of wackos out there and all of yeah. us, not just me or you, but the, our listeners deal with them every day. So, but the social media is something about the uh, veneer of and being anonymous. You know what I mean? It emboldens right. people. Like that's one thing I learned growing up in pretty tough schools that somebody want, you wanted to make fun of someone or attack someone, you had to do it face to face. And there was always consequences. And you, you that know, was a very that was a cost benefit analysis that you had yeah. to make an instant calculation whether you're going to be humiliated, beat up, etc. If you pursued that line of invective, so but not with this stuff. I get stuff, you know, no, 
they don't even they hide their email or they have the little fake uh, cartoon face on their posting. You know, by you are a piece of yeah, 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 and it's just no argument if they just say you misspelled a word or you got this wrong. It's almost never that. It's right. just pure hatred. It, 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 back in the day at National Review, where we let anyone comment on articles, and some you'd had to have a moderated because there was just vileness in there, and we, we, and then you thought, okay, you know what? For those people, will allow those people who pay. To, for a, what was called NR plus, you know, online access, and and we'll weed out all the the cranks. Well, you know what? It doesn't weed out all the cranks because some cranks. You're right about the anonymity, but there's many ways you can still have a cloak of an anonymity and be a paid subscriber to a site, and then feel even I think in some cases more empowered to be a jerk. But um, it's that's the world we. Uh, we do live in. Speaking of jerks, Victor, uh, there's a reviewer for Miles Klee at Rolling Stone, and he's reviewed this movie, The Sound of Freedom. And uh, I know there was another attack on this movie by um, uh, The Guardian. And here's, a, here's just a little slice of, of uh, the review. I'm going to read two things here. Caviezel, this is Jim Caviezel, who many people probably know best from The Passion of the Christ. Best known for being tortured. Oh, here it is. Best being known for being tortured to death in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ has become a prominent figure on the conspiracist right, giving speeches and interviews in which he hints at an underground holy war between between patriots and a sinister legion of evildoers who are harvesting the blood of children. It's straight up QAnon stuff right down to his use of catchphrases like the, the storm is upon us. Now, let me just read the end of this one of the end pieces of this review and, and I'll shut up, Victor, you comment. Oh, by the way, also, I saw a, a flip in the channels yesterday or the other day. CNN had somebody on same. They all talk up. The, they have the same freaking note. They get the same memo, but the same QAnon attacks on this movie. This on CNN. Anyway, this review by Miles Clee at Rolling Stone ended. Uh, uh, here we, here we, uh, Sound of Freedom lives up to that anticipation. It's a stomach turning experience, fetishi fetishizing the torture of its child victim and lingering over lush preludes to their sexual abuse. At times I had the uncomfortable sense that I might be uh, arrested myself just for sitting through it. Nonetheless, the mostly white haired audience around me they always say that, on yeah, to yeah, guess, moan and pity, mutter condom, blah, blah, blah. This is, this is, I'm going to shut up, but this is typical the gosh, can I like a movie that those people like? Anyway, Victor, it's the subtext a, uh, of that is they made it for what fifteen million bucks, and it's yeah, in the first yeah. five days, it's made forty million. Since and they're the, politically, yeah, the yeah, they're politically correct indie, whatever it is, five Dial of Destiny. They probably spent a hundred million, and they haven't made as much. And this is this thing has not been out as much. And it's going Far to be less a, theaters also. Yes, yeah. half the theater. It's going to make a lot more money. It's going to be a lot. It's it's kind of redukes the Top Gun Maverick all over again. They make a movie that appeals to broad, broad values, traditions, concerns. The American people, if it's well crafted, it's got good dialogue, good characterization, good acting. People want to go see it. 
and the left can't stand that because it's not the use of a film for their particular agenda. Everything has to be for a particular agenda. It's not arts for art's sake. It's art for political sake. And that's how they view all art forms. Ultimately, it's a Soviet idea that all literature, whether it's Professor Kendi's books or banning particular books, and I'm not talking about for children as they falsely accuse the right of wanting to ban books. They want to ban books that are sexually explicit for people under age, but not the left. They want to ban, you know, Thomas Wolfe or Hemingway. And so yeah. my point is anything that cannot be useful is not art, useful for a political trajectory. And that, that that's, I think everybody should realize that that is innate to leftism, whether it's during the Spanish Civil War or it's the socialism we see in Europe or it's the hardcore Soviet, or it's this weird bastardization of the Democratic Party that is a Jacobin party. It's the idea that their agenda is contrary to human nature. People like private property. They like friendly competition. They believe that there's a human basis or a divine basis to law, that people are born innately to know that theft is wrong. It's not constructive. They understand sovereignty and borders. And the left, nobody wants what they have to offer. So what do they have to do? They've got to warp and manipulate and dominate and monopolize the, the flow of information and regimentation. That's the story of them from the very beginning. And this party right now is a hardcore leftist party with no public support. And the only reason it is even in power is because they took an old, decrepit politician who wasn't very likable named Joe Biden. They put him in a basement and they said we were in a national emergency and we're going to, in many states now, vote 70 percent absentee ballot. He's not going to campaign. And all of the media, you mentioned the words they use. You know, they have those talking points. They send to all right. the pundits to use, use this word, use this word. And they were going to get him elected. And that's how they operate. But they are terrified of popular entertainment, popular books, movies that appeal to broad consensus. And that's what this movie does. And that's what Top Gun did. And yeah. they don't like it. And that's why they get snarly and have to say that the people in the audience have white hair and da-da-da-da-da. Anything but talk about whether the acting was good or bad or the characterization of the dialogue. And yet the funny thing is when you look at these movies that are coming out now, they, they look like Soviet productions where somebody is forced to say something about, oh, you're a colonialist or you're an imperialist or, oh, or this, this character is transient. That's what they do. Yeah. It's not, it's not anytime you have literature or art and it's not for art or literature's sake, but it's for a cheap political agenda. People can spot it and they don't want it. Yeah. It goes back to the Athenian stage. I mean, when Aristophanes ridiculed people who he thought were psychophants, fellow poets and anybody who just mouthed the public. I mean, that was what's wrong with Seneca. He was a great moralist, but he was basically writing. And even Virgil, who was probably the greatest poet in the Latin language, suffered from the idea that people thought his great work and i don't think it was but the charge against him was it was a poem designed to to sanctify augustus and uh it was the use of 
of literature for a political purpose. It doesn't mean that literature doesn't have political purposes, but its primary purpose is is political. Then it it's not appealing, and uh, yeah, that's what they they don't never get. It's so dreary to be a leftist. They're they're dreary people. It's so tiresome to hear this and got to do this and you got to do that. You have to say this, this, this. You can't like that person. This person, you got to hold a grudge against that person. You got to boycott this. You got to do that, and. What a bunch of dreary people. Yeah. We interesting some point, Victor, we should think this out for another time when you're on vacation about the books that have been literature that has been culturally or politically transformative, like maybe like Uncle Tom's Cabin or, or yeah. you know, some books that have had, had changed the dynamics of, uh, of the current society. But that's for another day, another time. Well, um, Victor, I, I appreciate uh, the wisdom you shared today. I apologize for my babbling to our to our listeners. I hope where you hope my voice could... held up. I have a cold, and I sound like I'm. What do I sound like? I sound like I'm... you sound fine. Okay, I can't you, tell. You know what though? We I didn't bring it up on these podcasts. We're in our the regular podcasts we recorded, but we've and you talked about. Your the trip to Hillsdale, the Hillsdale College cruise. While you were that you were gone, America had one of its Pete Buttigieg um, <laughs> airline travel crisis crises for three or four days. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you were gone because had you not been gone somehow or other, I know you would have been caught up in that. Yeah, somehow. I mean everything. He has the on Midas touch. Everything he touches turns to dross. He's just yeah. total incompetent. Yeah. And he's in your face and he's he's the worst transportation. And that says a lot because that position is often given to functionaries, but he's not even a functionary. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's out talking about the racial history of clover leaves when people can't fly, you know, and he can't, he doesn't have a clue how to fix anything other, you know, he's got to talk about his sexuality or sexuality or this particular group or this history of race, anything other than I'm transportation and our airline industry is in shambles. And here's what I'm going to do to fix it. No, you can't do that, Pete, because you don't have the ability. But I went to our, I am a road scholar. I am educated. I speak eight lines. Who gives a blank blank? Yeah. Can't do the job. He I'd put a bicycle rack in uh, in South Bend when he was mayor. I think that yeah. was his. I'd rather have him. a guy that you get any guy on the road that's a thirty year veteran of long haul trucking and put him in there and do a much better job. Oh man, yeah, gosh. Well, okay. I got one thing to read here at the end, Victor. That's a comment that someone kindly put up on iTunes uh, slash. Apple, where you can rate the show zero to five stars. Practically everyone gives Victor five stars. Thanks to those who do that. Thanks to those who leave comments. Also, those who leave comments on Victor's website. I know Victor reads them all. Um, and thanks no matter what platform you listen on. But anyway, this uh, we have one comment here from Fremont titled National Treasure. Professor, you are a national treasure. Your observations are insightful. Your wit mordant and your patriotism unimpeachable. I wish that we had a million more of you. May God continue to richly bless you and your efforts to reignite love of this greatest nation in history, Fremont. Awfully nice. And I think I second the motion. Victor, 
Thank you for all the wisdom you shared today. Thanks, folks, for listening. Have a great vacation wherever you're going, Victor. We'll, you'll tell us later when you get back. And uh, folks, uh, we'll be back again with another episode of the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Thanks and bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. See you soon. Bye.